information about our ministry, go to jwaller.com. On the eve of our struggle for independence, a man who might have been one of the greatest among the founding fathers, Dr. Joseph Warren, president of the Massachusetts Congress, said to his fellow Americans, our country is in danger, but not to be despaired of. On you depend the fortunes of America. You are to decide the important question which, upon which rests the happiness and the liberty of millions yet unborn. Act worthy of yourselves. Well, I believe we, the Americans of today, are ready to act worthy of ourselves. Ready to do what must be done to ensure happiness and liberty for ourselves, our children, and our children's children. From time to time, we've been tempted to believe that society has become too complex to be managed by self-rule. That government by an elite group is superior to government for, by, and of the people. We are a nation that has a government, not the other way around. And this makes us special among the nations of the earth. Our government has no power except that granted it by the people. It is made up of men and women who raise our food, patrol our streets, man our mines and factories, teach our children, keep our homes, and heal us when we're sick. Professionals, industrialists, shopkeepers, clerks, cabbies, and truck drivers. They are, in short, we the people. Their patriotism is quiet but deep. Their values sustain our national life. With the idealism and fair play which are the core of our system and our strength, we can have a strong and prosperous America at peace with itself and the world. So with all the creative energy at our command, let us begin an era of national renewal. Let us renew our determination, our courage, and our strength. And let us renew our faith and our hope. It is time for us to realize that we are too great a nation to limit ourselves to small dreams. We will again be the exemplar of freedom and a beacon of hope for those who do not now have freedom. We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. Bibles up this morning and say this is God's word. It is life to me. I am who it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. My mind is alert. I am awake. I'll never be the same again for I'm about to receive the everlasting, all-powerful, incorruptible seed of the word of God. Give the Lord a praise in the house. God bless you. You're looking great this morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, the book of Isaiah, chapter uh, 54. Isaiah 54, we are finishing our series this morning entitled Letters to the President. We pray that it's been a blessing in your life. And I want to talk uh, this morning for a few minutes, if you'll allow me to, about America's 
greatest enemy, America's greatest enemy. Isaiah chapter 54. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens with us in just a moment. But I want you to realize, brothers and sisters, that ideas have consequences. Will you say that with me? Ideas have consequences. We are living in an age of moral relativism. This is the notion and idea that uh, the ideas and beliefs that we personally hold really don't matter all that much. If it's good for you, then it is fine. The problem with that, brothers and sisters, is we can hold no one responsible in our culture. Here's what Winston Churchill stated in an address to Harvard University in 1943, and I quote, The empires of the future will be empires of the mind. The point being that in the last hundred years there has been a great transition taking place in the western culture with implications for us who live in it. And it is this, that the empires of the future will not be empires like the past. They will not be built from nation states but rather around ideas and ideologies. The conquest of the world, brothers and sisters, will not be for land. It will be for the way you think. I can't get no amens right in here. Nothing is more powerful than an idea. And so if society can get you to grab a hold of the wrong idea, even though those ideas will threaten your existence, you will just put up with it because you have believed an erroneous lie. So we must defend against the notion of humble ignorance. Hofstadter in his Pulitzer Prize winning book, Anti-Intellectualism in American Life, points out that for many Christians, humble ignorance is a far more noble human quality than a cultivated mind in most churches. This is why Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the enemy that you face. This is why Proverbs says, in all you're getting, get understanding. This is why the prophet said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. God wants us to think. To be human is to think. Homo sapien means a thinking being. C.S. Lewis stated it this way, there is no longer a Christian mind. A Christian ethic and a Christian practice, a Christian spirituality, yes, but not a Christian mind. End of quote. So if I could write a letter to the president, and that's what I came up in here for this morning. If I could write a letter to the president, I would tell him this, that we must not be so open-minded that our brain falls out. (laughs) Let me help you. This religion of peace, religion of peace, radicalized Islam, And their psychopathic followers have been busy spreading their message across the globe, this time targeting a ministry team of 12 Christians in Syria. The Christians were kidnapped by militants from the ISIS on August 28, 2015, which included nine men, two women, and a 12-year-old boy. They were given the opportunity to renounce Christ and accept Islam by their captors, but these steadfast Christians decided that they would endure whatever was thrown at them by ISIS rather than renounce their faith. The little boy uh, from the Christian group was led to the center of the crowd where ISIS then gave the boy's father a terrifying message. 
In front of the team leader and relatives in the crowd, the Islamic extremists cut off the fingertips of the boy. Severely beat him, telling his father they would stop the torture only if he, the father, would return to Islam. The little boy refused to deny Jesus, however, and even through the torture, he never wavered in his faith. When the team leader refused, relatives said the ISIS militants also tortured and beat him and the two other ministry workers and the three men and the boy were then met their deaths by crucifixion. Right now. Why is it so quiet in here? Right now. Not 4,000 years ago. The eight remaining Christians were then led to a separate area by the psychopathic Muslims where a crowd had gathered to witness the punishment about to be carried out. The Christians were given one last chance to deny Jesus and convert to Islam in order to escape their horrific fate. Refusing again, the militants then raped the two women in front of the large crowd, but this was still not enough. The Muslims then decided that each of the infidels would be beheaded for their refusal to convert to Islam. Villagers said some were praying in the name of Jesus. Some were praying the Lord's Prayer. And others said some of them lifted their heads to commend their spirits to Jesus. Miraculously, just before one of the women were about to lose their head for Christ, she looked straight at her beheaders and said one simple word, Jesus. The headless corpses were then nailed to crosses and displayed in public as a mockery of Christ and a warning to those who would oppose true Islam. Of course, D.C. will excuse this atrocity, arguing that this incident has nothing to do with true Islam. But all one has to do is look straight to the Koran and its message is crystal clear on what should happen to those who refuse to accept Allah. Let me help you because most Christians and most Americans don't have any idea what the Quran says. If someone says that the Quran and the Bible are the same, you need to run away. Because they've clearly never read their Bible and they've never read the Quran. But let me help you. Quran chapter 5 verse 33 says, The punishment of those who wage war against Allah and His Messenger and strive to make mischief in the land is only this, that they should be murdered or crucified or their hands and their feet should be cut off on opposite sides or they should be imprisoned. End of quote. Quran chapter 2 verses 190 said, Fight in the cause of God those who fight you. But do not transgress limits for God loves not transgressors. And kill them wherever you catch them. And turn them out from wherever they have turned you out. For persecution and oppression are worse than slaughter. Such is the reward of those who reject the faith. End of quote. Regardless of what people choose to believe, the actions of ISIS demonstrate what Islam truly is. And as long as the world continues to turn a blind eye, letting these Islamists run rampant, these types of atrocities will continue at the hands of Islam's Quran-following Muslims. It's awful quiet. I hope you're thinking. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 11 says, Oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of ruby, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established and you shall be far from oppression. 
for you shall not fear. And from terror, it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon turned against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. We have nothing to fear, because Jesus is Lord. America's greatest enemy. May we bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you that the word of God does not fall on deaf ears, but falls on good ground and bears a harvest in our life 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody give God a great big amen. Terrorism is the organized use of fear as a weapon or as a weapon. If Satan can use fear against the people of God, then he never has to go to war. If Satan can scare you off of the playing field, then he's already won. Fear is false evidence that appears real. Dallas Willard said, Fear is the anticipation of evil. But I refuse to fear. I don't know about you, I don't know where you're at, but I refuse to fear. I refuse to live one more day in fear. I don't care what the CNN reports are. I don't care what the CNBC reports are. I don't care what Fox News is reporting. I I am not going to live my life in fear. I'm not going to raise my children in fear because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It doesn't counsel fear out, it casts it out. In the Greek it means it flushes it out. For fear involves torment. Those who fear have not been made mature or perfect in love. I'm not saying I'm perfect this morning, but I'm on my way to maturing in love. I'm on my way. Thank God, amen, I have not arrived or attained, but I forget the things which are behind, and I'm going to press towards the mark of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, for the born-again child of God, redeemed the precious blood of Jesus, you have no reason to fear. Love does not deal with fear. Love flushes out fear. Islam is one of the three main world religions. In the Quran, there are 99, hear me, 99 different names for God. But not one of them is love. In our scripture, God defines himself interchangeably with love. Two forces. God is light. He doesn't have light. He is light. And God doesn't have love. He is light. Love. So I want to preface everything that I'm going to say this morning by letting you know that it is out of a heart of love. But we have to call right, right. We've got to stand up for truth. We have got to rebuke the enemy. They're not afraid to say what they believe in. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I am not ashamed to call myself a Christian. We are living in a postmodern world. There are many good things, hear me, many good things that come out of this postmodern view. The importance of scientific discovery, financial security, educational integrity. All of these things are great as we progress as a society. However, we have seen the ill effects of the postmodern world in the realm of religious expression unlike any other process of thought in postmodern history. Simply stated, religion is under fire, especially Christianity. But we are guaranteed to win. As we told you last week, truth is not relative. There are elements of truth in all world religions, but it doesn't mean that they are true at their core. For instance, you can have a car that looks good on the outside It has everything that it needs on the outside, but if there's no engine under the hood, it's not going to go anywhere. It looks good on the outside, but doesn't have any real power. Likewise, you can have elements of truth in all world religions, but the real test is to find out what is at its core. And that's what we're going to be dealing with this morning, if you'll say amen or oh me, one of the two. The war that is being waged in postmodern society is this, that all religions are the same. We may use different names for God and worship Him differently, but it's all the same God. Tolerance is the word of the day. But Jesus never told us to be tolerant. Jesus never told us to be all accepting. Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved and he who believes not is condemned already. Jesus didn't say, I am a way to God. In John 14 and 6 he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life and the only way you're going to get to the Father is through me. Truth is not relative. We do not serve the same God. I will rail against this idea that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God of Allah and Muhammad as his prophet. They are not the same God. When Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, he proved that he was the son of the living God because he got up from the grave with all authority and all power in his hand. I can take you to Muhammad's grave, but I cannot show you Jesus' grave because he is alive forevermore. No, we do not serve the same God. If you believe in God, then you must believe that he has to reveal himself for us to know him. For God could be real, but if he doesn't give us a revelation, how will his creation ever understand or know him? 
So he creates himself and then all throughout the scriptures he reveals another side of who he is so it's easy for you and I to digest the God that we serve. Are you here? So if you believe that God is real, that he takes the responsibility of self-revelation, then you must listen to the way he's revealed himself. (laughs) Nowhere in our scriptures is he defined as Allah. Nowhere in our scriptures is he defined as Muhammad. Nowhere in our scriptures is he defined as Buddha or Hare Krishna. Nowhere in our scriptures is he defined as any other God of this world. But he is defined as Jehovah Jireh. He is defined as Jehovah Mkadesh. He is defined as Jehovah Nisi. He is defined as Jehovah Rapha. And he said, I'm going to take all my goodness, everything that I am, I'm going to come down through 40 and two generations. I'm going to, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by one man. Jesus the Christ the son of the living God I call him Jesus because that's how he revealed himself most people don't know how Islam started let me help you Muhammad was born in 570 AD in the city of Mecca Mecca was a thriving metropolis in Saudi Arabia and it was centered around a black building called the Kaaba. This building was considered holy to all Arabs because it housed a black meteorite called the Black Stone. Meteorites in those days were considered to be holy objects because they were sent supposedly by God from heaven. All Arab tribes came to this temple to worship, but because the society was tribal in nature, each tribe had their own God of worship. Muhammad was born into the Koresh tribe and their main god of worship was a god that they called Allah. Due to the nature of each tribe having its own god of worship, there were some 270 different gods in this black building where they would come and worship. Muhammad's father died before he was born and his mother died shortly after childbirth. Thus his uncle raised him and he traveled the Middle East for most of his young life. During his travels he noticed that Jews and Christians had a comprehensive faith that made them great and powerful. While Arabs had their many gods and were in truth not a unified people at all. Are you listening to me this morning? Muhammad came into employment of a wealthy widow named Khadijah and they were soon married and as a successful merchant he was prosperous and well respected but the problem of unifying his people under the banner of one faith still bothered Muhammad on one of his many trips into the mountains pondering the question of faith he had an experience in a cave on Mount Hira in 610 AD while prostrate on the floor in the cave in deep meditation he heard these words recite It was a spirit, surely. He thought it was a demon. As the presence filled the whole cave and the entire mountain began to shake. He believed it to be a demon and thought the spirit had mistaken him for a kahin, an ecstatic prophet also referred to as a reciter. 
So he shouted to the spirit, I am not a reciter. And for a moment there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there was a violent rush and the unseen spirit gripped him and crushed his body to the point he thought he was going to die. Why don't we ever hear about this? Suddenly the spirit let him go and the spirit said again, recite. Muhammad shouted again, I am no reciter. And the spirit gripped him again with such force that again he thought he was going to die. Suddenly the spirit let go. And the next time the spirit came, Muhammad said, it was as if the spirit had taken control of my mouth and began to proclaim, read or proclaim in the name of your Lord and cherisher who created man out of a mere congealed clot of blood. He who taught the use of the pen taught men that which he did not know, end of quote. Surely the spirit had made a mistake for he was an illiterate man such as many of his day. But it happened and he was possessed by this spirit. And from that moment forward became a mad Cain despite himself. Are you here? Say amen if you're still listening to me. In a rush of terror he fled the cave and was so rattled by what had happened. He was ready to throw himself off of the edge of the cliff. Suddenly the spirit spoke again, Oh Muhammad, you are the holy apostle of God and I am Gabriel. He was breathless and frantic and didn't know what to do. He decided to go home and see if his wife could help him. He came to Khadija and lay on her lap convulsing from this spiritual encounter. She assured him, rejoice, O oh dear husband, and be of good cheer. You will be a prophet of the people. You are kind and considerate toward your kin. You help the poor and the forlorn and bear their burdens. You go to the distressed and bear their burdens. He said, this, dear, I cannot bear. He wanted to believe he was a prophet. But he was still unsure. Knowing what tribe he was from, he knew that if he was to be a prophet, he must be the prophet of the God of his ancestors, Allah. Khadija saw his doubt and decided to run to her cousin, Waraka, a Christian who was wise in such matters, and he would have an answer. As she told Waraka the story, Waraka proclaimed, Holy, holy. This is all in their writings, brothers and sisters cried out, holy, holy. I wonder what would have happened if that Christian brother would have had faith. I wonder what would have happened if that Christian brother would have done what Mark 16 says. Some of you don't know what Mark 16 says. Those who believe in my name shall cast out devils. That's not what happened. She said, holy, holy, by him whose hand is the soul of Waraka has Muhammad the prophet become to his people. Bid him rest assured. Muhammad resigned himself. He would be a prophet to his people and a prophet of Allah. Soon there came more trips to the mountains and more revelations. And he stated this, when the spirit would come, it sounded like clanging bells in his head. He suffered convulsions, fevers, and shakes. 
He began to recite that this Allah was more than one of the many gods of the Arab people, but that he was the one and true God, the creator of mankind, and he was to be worshipped and submitted to. Thus came the saying that most of us know in here and the saying that the pilots used when they bombed the Twin Towers. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. This does not sound like an anointed prophet of God. This does not sound as if he is receiving a divine revelation from Jesus Christ. The spirit did not come in peace. It came in dominance. It came in control. It came in fear. And it came in violence. Here's what Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 says. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you other than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Anathema. Let him be totally cursed. Is Islam a faith of peace? Nineteen pilots were quoting from the Quran when they killed thousands of innocent lives on September 11th in the attack on New York City and Washington, D.C. These were not angry Baptists and scorned Methodists. When Osama bin Laden was asked about the Trade Center bombings, he stated, and I quote, We were overjoyed when the planes hit the Twin Towers. Be patient, more is coming. When they panned to the crowd, you could hear the entire crowd shouting, Praise be to Allah. Historian Paul Johnson in the October edition of the National Review stated, Islam does not mean peace, it means submission. Don't be deceived this morning. The Quran does not teach peace among all men as the scriptures do. Surah 585 says, Strongest among men in enmity to the believers, you will find the Jews and the pagans. That's you and I. Surah 9 and 5, And when the sacred months have passed, then kill the pagans wherever you find them. Are you listening to me? Kill the pagans wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them and sit and wait for them at every place of war. This is in their holy book. Surah 551. O ye who believe, take not the Jews nor the Christian for your friend or protector. They are but friends and protectors of each other. He among you who turns to them is of them. Does this sound like a peaceful faith to you? Surah 929, fight those who do not believe in Allah or in the last day and who do not consider unlawful what Allah and his messenger have made unlawful and who do not adopt the religion of truth from those who were given the scriptures. Fight until they give the jiza willingly while they are humbled. The jiza is an inflated tax force on those who do not accept Islam, Allah, or Muhammad as their prophet translation. Take over their government and tax the Christians and the Jews into poverty until they submit. Is it a religion of peace? I don't think so. How about the massacre of the church in Pakistan? The Associated Press reported two days after the launching of war in Afghanistan, fighting for our freedoms, gunmen with high-powered automatic weapons invaded a Christian Protestant church in Pakistan, massacring everyone in the building, including three women and seven children. 
When the mothers saw what was happening, they laid on top of their children, shielding them from the bullets that were firing. Systematically, they shot every woman and every child until they heard the moans and cries stop in the middle of the sanctuary. When asked why they did it, they stated, we killed these Christians because Christian America bombed our country. We hunt down terrorists and they kill women and children in church. Does this sound like a sister faith to you? On the third day of coverage of the massacre, Dateline NBC did an expose with Dr. Sammy Al Alain, a prized professor from the University of Southern Florida. He met with President George W. Bush in his religious summit in Tampa, Florida, when President Bush was running for a second term in office. However, it was uncovered that he had been actively fundraising for an extreme Islamic terrorist group since 1991. In a conference in 1995, he stated, and I quote, Those people, Christians and Jews, Allah has made pigs and donkeys. Let us damn America and let us damn the nation state of Israel. End of quote. I believe it's time we start investigating who's teaching our children. My question is, is this peaceful? Is this a sister faith as politicians say? Politicians who say this, hear me, are lying to the people of America mostly because they don't understand it themselves. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren. Well, pastor, I hear you, but I believe American Muslims are different. I'm glad you came this morning. Are American Muslims different? A recent study stated that there are 2.6 million Muslims in the United States. That is less than 1% of our population, 0.08%. The vast majority of Muslims live in Arab and Asia conglomerate of nations. So even if Muslim Americans are peaceful, it is a very small percentage of the faith. This is not a fight and a battle we've been just, you know, woke up with since 2001. This has been raging for centuries. Historian Daniel Pikes of Commentary Magazine related in his article November 2001, in June of 1991, a convert to Islam, Saria Raha, received the highest honors in the Muslim faith for being the first Muslim to open in prayer for the United States House of Representatives. He cited from the Quran and prayed that God would grant to the leaders righteousness and wisdom and that God would guide them in governing our great country. Two weeks later. Did you get that? This moderate Muslim addressed his peers in New Jersey with a completely different set of ideologies. He said this and I quote, two weeks after opening up the House of Representatives, he said this, If only Muslims were more clever politically, they would take over the government of the United States and replace its constitutional government with an Islamic caliphate. That is a governing body of Islam ruling under Sharia law. If we were strong and united, we would elect our own leader and give our allegiances to him. If the six to eight million Muslims would unite in this country, this country would come to us, end of quote. Is this loyal to America? 
USA Today reported in February 6, 1991 in a survey of American Muslims concerning the Gulf War with President Bush Sr. When asked the question, were they willing to send their children to fight against Saddam Hussein, 82% of them said no. Living in our country, by our laws, I can't get no amens right in here. Eight out of ten of them said no way. When asked, do you approve of the president's handling of the war, 60% of them said no. If willing to fight any Arab nation for any reason, the majority of them said absolutely not. Is this peaceful? Build your own conclusions. Number three, does Islam teach what the Bible teaches? Is it a sister faith to Christianity? The short answer is no. The deception of Islam is that it holds the Bible in certain esteem. However, when the Bible and the Quran disagree, the Muslims always believe the Quran. Their book speaks of the Torah, the five first books of our Bible, Moses, Abraham, Mary, and even Jesus. So many times they will say, well, we believe the exact same thing you believe. My baloney has a first name. (laughs) What they believe that is in accordance with our belief. What do they believe that is just like what we believe? Number one, they believe that Abraham was the father of faith. Two, they believe that the Bible is an inspired book. Three, they believe that Mary is the mother of Jesus. Four, they believe that Jesus was a holy prophet. Five, they believe in the existence of angels. Six, they believe in devotion to God. And seven, they believe in the power of good works, just like we do. The five pillars of Islam go like this. You must recite the creed of Islam, the Shahada. Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. Two, you must devote yourself to prayer. Sad to say, they pray more than most Christians do. Three, you must give alms or the zakat. Four, a Muslim must fast during Ramadan and at other times. And five, a Muslim must make the pilgrimage to Mecca. It's called the haji. What they do not believe, they do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. But my Bible says in Isaiah 7 and 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel. Two, they do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. But 1 Peter chapter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Number three, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But 1 John chapter 4 and 15 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. I feel my help coming now. Number four, they do not believe that the Trinity is comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But 1 John 5 and 7 says, For there are three that bear witness and record in heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Number five, they do not believe in the power 
power of the name of Jesus. But Acts chapter 4 and 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except that name, Jesus the Christ. Six, that grace is the only way to heaven. But Galatians 2 and 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of Almighty God. No, we do not serve the same God. Jesus and Muhammad are not on the same level. You can put Muhammad as high as you want to put him, but higher than Muhammad, higher than Allah, higher than Buddha, higher than Harry Krishna is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he shall rule and reign on the throne of his father David and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. If you're glad you serve Jesus, jump on your feet and give God 30 seconds of praise in this house. Yeah. Jesus shall reign. Jesus shall reign. Jesus shall reign. Stay on your feet. Jesus shall reign over every religion, every person, every creed, every name that is named. He alone is the conquering king from Galilee. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that at the name of Jesus, that blessed name, Muhammad is not the conqueror. There is one God in three persons. And Jesus Christ is the conquering king. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. As long as there is breath in my body. I know I gave you a lot of information in a short amount of time. But as long as there is breath in my lungs. I will preach Jesus Christ. And him crucified. I don't care how many politicians want us to get together. I don't care what the politicians say. They don't know what they're talking about half the time anyway. I'm going to uphold righteousness. I'm going to uphold truth. And if you've not learned anything out of this series of messages. Because we are moving on. But 
I want you to grasp this fact. There is nothing wrong with standing for what you believe in. Because there are not many ways to heaven. There is one way. And so many Christians are afraid to tell people what they really believe. What they really think. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You know, something interesting Paul said. Paul was talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young man, young in faith. At the end of the letter, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of my chains. I think in Timothy's life, as connected to Paul as he was when he was in his daily life, he almost pushed Paul to the side as if he really didn't believe what he believed, trying to please people, trying to be tolerant. Paul said, listen, I'm in these chains. I suffer these chains that the gospel might go to the ends of the earth. Pastor, I'm afraid to stand up. What would happen if you do stand up? Maybe there's somebody waiting on you to stand up. I am not ashamed in the God that I served. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that it falls on good ground, bears a harvest in our life 30, 60, and 100 fold. That our eyes are open to the truth. And maybe, Father, there are people in our path, people in our life who are Muslim, who do serve Muhammad. Give us the wisdom. Give us the understanding to walk through the open door at the right time. Help us to love those around us. That I can love you even though I don't agree with you. Father, I thank you for a revival in that part of the world. Send revival, Lord. Father, we thank you for this great country. This weekend we are celebrating our independence. And I pray a special blessing upon our nation, upon our leadership. Upon the families represented here at my father's house. God, as we go about our holiday this weekend, let us ever keep you in the foremost uh, thoughts of our heart. Because we can't have liberty without you. We can't have freedom without you. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God bless us. Bless these United States. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord praise if you love Him. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated.